Today's scripture comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 22. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. First of all, I want to say thank you, First Baptist, for having me today. And um, it's a joy to be with you and bring this message. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose, to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. In him, the whole building is joined together 
and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. As the church, we believe that being in Christ is the only way we can be reconciled to God and to one another. As the church, we believe that being in Christ is the only possibility of living as this new humanity. As the church, we believe that being in Christ is the only way the church can truly become a witness to the world of what being part of the family of Jesus looks like. So Michael Frost, don't know if you guys know him, but he's a theologian and missiologist. He shared this story a number of years ago about the, how the church in the fourth century in Rome impacted the world around it. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I don't even know if you're familiar with how radical it was. Listen, hundreds of thousands of ordinary believers were infiltrating every aspect of society in Rome and living what Michael Frost calls questionable lives that evoked curiosity in the Christian message. Now, it wasn't just one or two. It was hundreds of thousands. Just how did they do that? And what did that look like? In an era of polytheism and pagan superstition, these believers lived a new kind of community devoted to sacrificial acts of kindness. Listen to what that looked like. They loved and treated one another with love and forgiveness. They loved their enemies and forgave their persecutors. They cared for the poor and they fed the hungry. In the brutality of life under Roman rule, they were the most stunningly different people anyone had ever seen. Their influence was so surprising that even the fourth century Emperor Julian feared they might take over the empire. Jeez. He became so concerned that the Christians' acts of hospitality and philanthropy were winning too many subjects that he decided to launch his own offensive against them by mobilizing his own officials and the pagan priesthood to kind of outlove the Christians as if. He decreed that a system of food distribution be started and that hostels be built for the poor travelers. What do you think the end result was? Julian's new social program utterly failed. He couldn't motivate pagan priests and Roman officials to care that much for the poor. He failed to realize that this diverse multi-ethnic group of Christians were filled with the Holy Spirit of love and motivated by his grace. The message they shared and embodied that God loved the world was patently absurd to the average Roman. The pagan gods cared nothing for humankind. And yet, in the miserable world of the Roman Empire, the Christians not only proclaimed the mercy of God, they demonstrated it. They not only fed and embraced the poor, they welcomed all comers, regardless of their ethnicity and background. They promoted liberating social relations between the sexes and within families. The noblemen embraced the slaves. They were literally the most surprising alternative society and their conduct raised an insatiable curiosity among the average Roman. 
So here's my question. What is the announcement of good news that we make to the world as the church? What is the announcement of good news that we make to the world as the church? Are we curious? Do we live questionable lives? Now, I'm going to do this a bit back to front for all you linear thinkers. I'm going to start with where Jesus wants to end up and how Paul describes how we get there first. So just bear with me. In Ephesians 2, Paul writes about the great love of Christ that pursues us, the mercy of Christ that makes us alive, the grace of Christ that saves us, and the peace of Christ that reconciles us to a new form of liberating humanity that loves radically, that lives generously, that forgives powerfully and creates curiosity to the world around us. Let me repeat that because it's a pretty mouthy sentence, okay? In Ephesians 2, Paul writes about the great love of Christ that pursues us, the mercy of Christ that makes us alive, the grace of Christ that saves us, and the peace of Christ that reconciles us to form a new liberating humanity that loves radically, that lives generously, that forgives powerfully, and creates curiosity to the world around it. In Ephesians 2, Paul writes about the great love of Christ that pursues us, What is it all for? What is his message? What is this mercy of Christ that makes us alive? What is this grace of Christ that saves us? What is this peace of Christ that reconciles us? What is it all for? It's to form, as I've said, a new liberating humanity that loves radically, lives generously, forgives powerfully, and creates curiosity to the world around us. I hope I'm making my point because I'm repeating myself a lot here. This piece that verse 15 talks about echoes back to the Hebrew word shalom. It's a word that so many of us are familiar with. Shalom, as you know, encapsulates a a reality of hope and wholeness of the individual within societal relations and for the whole world. It's relational at its very core. It's this peace, actually, that breaks down the barriers of us and enmity that verse 16 talks about and undoes the burden of the yoke. At the core of this idea of shalom is justice, making things right, bringing equity, equality, fairness. It's what John the Baptist talks about in Luke 3. When quoting Isaiah, he, he talks about the mountains being laid low and the valleys being raised up the crooked roads being made straight, the rough ways being made smooth. These are powerful metaphors of how leveling happens in societal, in a societal way, so that all people, as that text reminds us, will see God's salvation. And then in Luke 4, we hear through Jesus how this journey towards shalom, this shalom wholeness, is to be lived out in his kingdom manifesto. Remember? Good news to the excluded and marginalized. Freedom for those in bondage. Restoration of sight to the physically and spiritually blind. Liberation to the oppressed. This is what shalom is about. And it's only in and through Christ that it's possible. It is this peace only in and through Jesus that means the excluded and now included. This shalom peace, this wholeness I'm talking about. It's this peace that only in and through Jesus means that those who are far away from God are brought near to God. The outsider is brought inside, and that includes you and me. 
It's this peace that only in and through Jesus can mean the people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, cultures, ethnicities can coexist in unity with diversity. It's this peace that only in and through Jesus can mean the barriers of hostility and division are brought low, just like the mountains. Because division, hostility, brokenness is acknowledged and brought to the cross of Christ. This is what verses 1 and 3 and 11 to 12 remind us. Remember where you've come from so that you don't become prideful or conceited. So that you don't become judgmental and critical of others. Remember who you were before you knew me. Remember how you treated one another before I poured out myself for you. How much division and hatred there was. Remember what I've done for you. Only in and through Jesus can this happen. Only in and through recognizing and remembering Jesus' costly love and sacrifice can reconciliation that brings peace, this shalom wholeness, happen. Listen again to verse 13 and 16. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. We are all by nature pain avoiders. Let's just get honest. Let's just get real here. We don't really like talking about difficult things or facing difficult things. Think of the last time you were excited to go to the dentist for a root canal. Or excited or um, enthusiastic about having to deal with a difficult conversation with someone you know. Or eager to examine the nature and insidiousness of systemic racism within our own city and country, or open to listening to an indigenous person share the pain and damage of residential schools in their family. This is why Paul wants the ethnically diverse believers in Ephesus to remember where they've come from, to remember what Christ has done for them, and to know where they're headed. In verses 1 to 3, Paul reminds the Ephesian church this multi-ethnic mix of Jews who had come to Christ and Gentiles who left their pagan practices and worldly views to remember what life was like before Christ, how they treated one another, to remember what Christ has rescued them from so that they never go back to that way of thinking. In particular, Paul reminds them of three forces that have worked in tandem or in a trio to devastating effect the world, the devil, and the flesh. The Gentiles, with their pagan practices, were unaware of the living God and had been shaped to follow the ways of the world, verse 2 tells us, coming under the power and influence of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the devil. Both Jews and Gentiles had been separated from the living God, spiritually constantly oriented around desires, passions, and inclinations of the flesh. This word for world, we know this word, this word cosmos, is often used in the Bible to describe how human society and systems are organized without God. 
And without that reality, they often come under the influence of principalities and powers, drawing people into idolatry and self, self-serving orientations. Just think about that for a minute. If the world is organizing itself without God, think of how the powers that be that aren't of God come in and then draw people who aren't following God into idolatry and self-serving orientations. Let me suggest what this looks like. We see this in the spiritual force behind the lust for power that is self-serving and privileges to have manifesting in inequality and unjust systems. Did you know, for example, that 30% of inmates in Canadian prisons are indigenous, even though the indigenous people make up just 5% of the country's population? According to figures released by Federal Watchdog in 2019-2020, the research indicates that factors include poverty rates and racism in policing, which contribute to an imbalance in convictions. We see this also in the spirit of consumerism that lies to us about what we need and what we think we deserve and has led Canada to having one of the highest credit card debts in the world. I think we're either one or two, we're up there. We see this in how the spirit behind the idealization of sex has led to pornography that is so insidious within our society that it makes more money globally, 97 billion, than any other product in the world. And as it does so, it glorifies violence and sexism and racism. We see this in racist systems that continue to privilege people who are white, to be honest, and have in the past excluded people of color from purchasing property in certain areas in Canada, and has meant a history of being complicit in tolerating racist oppression within residential schools, that we know oppressed and brutalized indigenous people and we're still running into the 1980s. The last one closed in 1996. This is current, this is real. It's hard to hear just a few of these things, isn't it? But remembering where we've come from enables us to acknowledge the pain of separation from God and one another. It helps us to become aware of any places where we are still stuck in our old ways of thinking and behaving or might fall back into old patterns so we can confess both individually and corporately and receive forgiveness. It helps us to lament the brokenness of our past as a crucial part of our journey back to this, back to God's vision for the church. It helps us to humbly work towards reconciliation that brings true shalom. Paul wants the ethnically diverse believers in Ephesus to remember where they've come from, to remember what Christ has done for them and to know where they are headed. Verses four and five, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God who is rich in mercy. Mercy, this word mercy echoes this Old Testament justice word, chesed, which describes God's loving kindness, God's favor, God's covenantal loyalty. A covenantal loyalty that is God's allegiance to us, and yet it's God who does the initiating. 
love that pursued us, this agape love, this preferential love is towards us. And yet again, God does the initiating. God, who is great in love and rich in mercy, made us both Jews and Gentiles, alive in Christ, raised up with Christ, seated with Christ, alive, raised, and seated. There's no hierarchy in this new humanity in Jesus' eyes. There's no power dynamic or inequality. All who say yes get life. All who say yes are raised up to be with and in Christ. All who say yes are seated with Christ. All who are loved equally, given mercy equally, and It's this shalom vision that is actualized and breaks down barriers of hostility and enmity and undoes the burden of the yoke. Imagine what that picture might look like in our context today. In Jesus' eyes, you are all equal, every one of you. Whatever you feel about yourself, whatever your story has been, You are alive, raised, and seated in Christ. It doesn't matter what education you've had, how long you've known Jesus, whether you're a CEO of a company, a professor at a prestigious university, whether you were an immigrant or a security guard, you are alive in Jesus, raised with Jesus, seated with Jesus, as in the community of God. And the impetus for all this is so God can reveal the richness of his grace in his kindness to us so that we can, in Christ, become reconciled communities of peace that create curiosity for Jesus in the world. It's all about God's initiative, as verse 8 goes on to say. It blows my mind, his gift of grace, not what we deserve, but what we didn't deserve. His gift to us in Christ has saved us through faith so that we can be fruit bearers together. Paul goes on to describe the condition and state of those who didn't know God and how that impacted relationships, where the breakdown was. Verses 11 and 12, separate from God, considered foreigners with no possibility of inclusion, having no hope and without God in the world and separated from one another. And it's this separation that led to this wall of hostility and enmity between people groups who have now become followers of Jesus in the church. But in Jesus and through Jesus, this barrier, this wall has been broken down. How? How did Jesus, dying on the cross, overcome this separation and alienation between ethnic groups? Verse 13 says, by his blood. It reminds us of the sacrificial, self-giving love that Jesus offered and his blood that cleanses in this upside-down way all the faults and brokenness within us. Once we were separated from Jesus, Jesus brings us near. This is what his blood has done. Once we excluded from belonging to God, we are now fellow citizens. This is what his cross has done. Once strangers to the promise of God's rescue, now partakers of the promise. This is what his cross has done. Once without hope, now we are fellow heirs of all God has to give us. This is what his blood has done. Once we were without God in the world, now fully fledged members of God's family, no matter who you are. When we remember we are in Christ as a community, when we remember this, remember, 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 we orient our lives around what matters to Jesus and become fruit bearers. 
as verses 9 and 10 remind us. And we commit our hearts and minds and lives to this vision of peace through reconciliation that can only come about through justice being realized as barriers of hostility and enmity are broken down and the burden of the yoke is undone. It's this vision of a new humanity in verse 15 that Paul wants us to hold on to because it's not easy. It's so much easier to hang out with people who are like us, who look like us, who we like, who think, we th who think like we think, but that's not the invitation. The invitation is to, in and through Christ, have hope in the power of the living God to change things, verse 12 and 13. To, in and through Christ, become one humanity to make an impact, verse 15. To, in and through Christ, have equal access to the living God through the Spirit, verse 18. To, in and through Christ, become a family or a household, Verse 19, to in and through Christ continue to be built up on the foundation of the reconciling biblical story that we're now part of with Jesus as the unifying center, the chief cornerstones, verses 20 and 21 tell us. To in and through Christ become a place where God's spirit dwells as unity within our church community means that we become salt and light to the world around us, creating curiosity, folks by the way the people of God treat one another and the way the people of God love people in their neighborhoods, their city and care for the disadvantaged and the poor, who speak up and address unjust systems that have oppressed our fellow human beings because our unity is tied up with one another. Peace and reconciliation is, is tied up together. It's this commitment to reconciliation that will result in shalom peace. I believe this with all my heart. And it's in and through Jesus, and only in and through Jesus, that these barriers will be broken down. These dividing walls of hostility will be flattened. It is this peace that breaks the burden of the yoke, as I've said earlier. We need the reminder of the cross and the blood of Jesus and all that Jesus has done for us. We need the memory of our story and where we've come from. Um, because this is what propels us outward into the lives of our neighbors, but also upward into deeper intimacy with Jesus. We need to become godly, intriguing, socially adventurous, joyous presence in the lives of others and beacons of hope in a world that longs for true shalom peace. Amen. Again, I ask this question of myself, of my community, of First Baptists. What is the announcement of good news that we make to the world in the church? And before I, play, I pray, I want to reflect a little bit. I want you to reflect, actually, just wherever you are, on two th questions. Where in this message did you find resonance? Just sit with that for a minute. Allow the spirit to just help you reflect on that. And where in this message did you find resistance? Where in this message, just sit with that. Don't push it away, don't stuff it down. Just let the spirit come. Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, we thank you so much 
for Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We thank you for Jesus' great love and mercy, for this call to be a community who reconciles, who lives differently to impact the world for you. And we pray, God, that you would help us to work towards reconciliation and shalom peace that you bring so that we would be communities who people on the outside are curious about, so that we would be communities who go out into the world and make a difference. By your spirit do this, Lord, we pray in your name. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.